This is Skirted Roundtable and Linda Merrill from Surroundings. And this is Megan Arquette with Beach Bungalow 8. And unfortunately, we do not have Joni Webb of Cote to Texas with us today. Megan and I are at the High Point Market, and Joni couldn't join us this week, which we're really sad about. So we we're sitting in the press office at High Point Market, so there's going to be some more background than in our own living room sitting in our jammies. But we are very excited this week to welcome interior designer Jamie Drake, who just addressed the press breakfast on a really wonderful talk on uh, design trends. So, Jamie, welcome so much, and thank you for joining us at the Skirted Roundtable. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Megan. We're very, we're very excited to have you. As we do with everybody, we really, and our listeners, um, our listeners tend to be uh, bloggers and other interior designers, really love to hear how people who have established themselves got to where they are and backgrounds and influences. Well, I always think I wanted to be an interior designer, and that really first manifested when I was still a child, really, six, seven years old, uh, in my backyard fort in Connecticut. I, my best friend and I had this fort, and it was really just a big pit in the ground in his backyard, and he sort of was in charge of lugging the stones around from the old stone walls in Connecticut that were falling down to create the surrounding of the fort, and I was in charge of antiques and decorating. <laughs> and um, that the antiques were, we there was a barn over the hill and down through the woods, a, a, a dilapidated, falling down, abandoned barn, and I, inside of it were old bottles and rusted out wash basins and a few farm tools and those are the antiques I used to create the vignettes uh, that I put together and um, I did always have this interest when I was in high school I had the opportunity to go to a local regional public arts high school in New Haven called the Educational Center for the Arts and I was in their fine arts department but they arranged uh, for me to have a internship at what was then Connecticut's largest contract interiors firm and so I went there every afternoon for a year and a half and full time in the summer and then I went to Parsons School of Design right out of high school and got a degree in environmental design. Now, what's exactly environmental design? Well, it was an interesting program at that time. It was um, there was no interior design program. It was it was this sort of more all-encompassing that was a combination of the end of a kind of a Bauhausian point of view, mixed, I think, with some remnants of '60s, let's save the world, um, <laughs> and, um, uh, energies and sentiments, and it covered product design, interior design, interior architecture, some landscape architecture, and some graphics. The thing that was absolutely a big no-no would have been decorating at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a wonderful training, and I think it gave me the basis for becoming a designer. I didn't yeah. learn about the difference between velvet and silk. Right. I learned about thought process. And color. And, you know, in, in your um, discussion today, you mentioned one of your favorite artists from a photograph that you had um, that was... Uh, by Jean Davis, yes. Right. The photograph was a foyer in one of your old apartments. And you mentioned that the colors, when they're put together, can become different hues, actually, just by being placed next to each other. So I thought that was interesting that you saw that, because being a fine arts major, that was something that we color theory would learn about. I did have color theory when I was at Parsons, and it was actually taught by a great uh, artist who still paints to this day. He's a gentleman of a certain age now, I'm sure, but uh, um, Hector Leonardi. And so the color theory was very interesting to me. I also had, growing up, a lot of painting and arts classes. Collage was a favorite of mine. Um, I worked in acrylics. Um, I could never deal with watercolors because there was no room for error or going back. Right. I, I, I like to be able to um, to to continue to, to play with things, I think. And, and my favorite artists from my childhood and adolescence to some of the ones I have today are all ones who do 
use color in a way that it is about how they they lay next to each other, whether it's Gene Davis, as we talked about, or Chuck Close, mm-hmm. Bridget Riley. Um, I love that scintillation, what happens with color. I think color. it's really apparent in your designs, too, because you are so you use so many tactile products, your, your, the mobiles that you're using, the Calder mobile, and, you know, the lucite, the blue lucite that's having the light infused through it. I, I mean, you really are, I feel like, on so many different levels, on a really three-dimensional, four-dimensional level is how you seem to decorate, which is really interesting because I notice a lot of decorators will come in and it seems more flat, like on top of, on top of, on top of. Well, thank you. I'm, I... I appreciate that, and I and I have learned over the years to actually understand my work better and be able to talk about it in a way that's um, more eloquent. Because I think that really most of what I do is really intuitive. It's only when it was began to be pointed out to me, and I and I ended up speaking more to the press and my friends in the press that I had to learn to explain myself more. Yeah. And then I realized it more consciously about what I do intuitively. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sort of a, you're a sculptor, really. Yeah, and, 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 I, and the way I use the color to keep the eye moving, yeah. which has to do with my personality, which has to keep moving. I'm not someone who likes to sit in a room with the door closed and read a book for five hours in, in quiet. Mm-hmm. I need constant bombardment of, of information and, um, and, and stimulation, whether it's um, visually, whether it's conversationally. So I like well, stimulation. You showed us the it was the house beautiful cover that was mm-hmm. the what it was in essence a white room with a dark floor, but it was the color issue, right? Because it was the beautiful use of little pops and the value of the little pop of color, the yeah. three bright yellow pillows. Yeah, I, I, that was really as I, as I said, yeah. Linda. Really, I was just so overwhelmed with pleasure, but also sort of shocked that I'm the cover story of the color issue and they're calling me the king of color about a white room um, now of course <laughs> you the, know you're good with color right, right? you can do the that. way it was cropped helped <laughs> but um, it, it really did lead me to look at my work in a different way my own work and then to be able to again to talk about it more eloquently mm-hmm. and you mentioned when you showed us that photograph how you the placement of the colors was so important because it did keep the eye moving around the room and keeping it one of, one of my favorite my, one of my favorite lines is I hate a stagnant room and it's true I like I think I find it very uninteresting a room you walk into you immediately see the big mm-hmm. the big story and then it's over right I like to have a room where you look there's something that draws you into it and then your eye looks to the right and then it moves around behind your shoulder and then you keep looking and discovering things as you sit in the room walk through the room or use the room and that you also you were able to do that too with pattern even though maybe you showed us um, a photograph of a room a bedroom for a woman a single woman and it was done pretty much in the same co- this raspberry really yummy raspberry color um, story but the way you managed to bring in texture and lines and there was a carpet that was a sort of a paisley for lack of a better word. Um, the pillows were diagonal stripe, horizontal stripe, but it was all in the same colorway, basically. As you said, it was very tightly Right, it was the color that held all this together, because it was, I had great fun putting that room together. I kind of love something that's loose, but not that, but not loose at the same time. This room was loose because it had patterns that that you wouldn't expect to put together or or were 
very aggressive to put together. As you said, there were right. the two different types of stripe, a diagonal stripe that actually had a floral woven into it as a damask, with then a satin stripe that was more graphic, then the Suzani pattern bedspread, mm -hmm. and then this carpet that were giant modern paisleys um, on a grayish background. And it was the colors of the, the hot pinks and the, mm -hmm. and the orchid colors that held it together. So going back um, a little bit, you went to Parsons, and then what did you... So um, after I graduated from Parsons, I had this great good fortune to, literally two days after I graduated, have a friend call me and say that um, her boyfriend and his father, who were very rich, <laughs> had decided to move, and they thought maybe I'd like to do the apartments. And so I had these two. I said, "Okay, why not?" Sure, I have my so, degree. <laughs> right. So I had a business um, wow. without with a big budget client right with out the bat. Decent budgets in a brand new building on Fifth Avenue, and then about a month after that, I had another client um, referred to me with an apartment on Sutton Place in New York. So I had all these wonderful projects come to my door who were willing to let somebody do them who had never worked in interiors professionally before. There's so many logistics involved in running a design business. Did you do internships while at school? Did you work for people so you understood how to run a library or how to, just all the basics? I, I did have, um, you know, the opportunities I said when I was in high school to work um, as, right. a, as yep. a volunteer or as an intern at a contract firm. So I got to be around a library and designers. And then when I was at Parsons during college, I had to do an internship with Angelo Dondia. And so I worked on, uh, again, in the environment. Did I learn all the business aspects or this and that? No. I think that it was a, um, interior design, we're selling ideas and service at the end of the day. Especially in urban centers like New York, where nobody has a showroom. Everybody just has a, an office, a studio. What did I need to start a business? A pad, a pencil, and a phone. Mm -hmm. Maybe I didn't even need the pad or the pencil. I did need the phone, but I certainly needed the client. Right. And otherwise, you don't really need any startup capital. So it's a business that, an industry that allowed me to start up in a way without a huge investment. When you work with a client, how do you, with your first meeting, go through that? What's, what's going through your mind? Are you um, summing up, like, maybe, am I, are they a good fit for me? Absolutely, I, I do try and think about that, although I'm a great optimist and I sort of approach everything like, I think as much as I'm a designer and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and so I, I like to close the sale. Um, <laughs> and so I'm always usually pretty open that this is somebody I can work with. Rarely do I think this is not somebody. And basically, what does that mean to work with? I don't have a minimum per se. The minimum is it has to be realistic. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, I want to do the living room, the dining room, the foyer, and my master bedroom, and we talk and we talk and we talk, and I try and elicit, you know, finally, you know, throw out, and they think, well, what do you think it's going to cost? And if I say it's going to cost 400000 500000 and they're shocked, and I said, well, what did you think it was going to Well, no, we're not. And I said, well, if you thought we were going to, you'd be able to do that for hundred or $150,000, I said, that's pretty, that's really unrealistic. And so I look for people who are realistic. That's, mm -hmm. that, yeah. I think that's the key. Um, simpatico, I think in this day and age, I have a highish profile with the accessibility people have to information mm -hmm. via Google or going to my website. Right. If anybody's coming to me, they already know more about me and my work than I do. Right. right. 
And so they're sort of pre-sold. Right. So it's up That's to nice. you to, to, again, to close the deal mm -hmm. and to explain the processes of how it works and what the fees are. I do have a staff. Yeah, how big is how big is your staff? We're 11 right now. We were bigger two years ago. Yeah. We're about half the size that we were. Yeah. And when you, so you, you sit down, you chat with the client, and then do you then go back and work up with your the people that work with you, do you work up the concept and then bring it back and say, this is what we're doing? Not until they hire us. Um, usually we have an initial meeting will be in our office or at their home. Generally takes about an hour. If it's much, much longer, if it's three hours, it's probably not a good fit. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's usually a second meeting. And in the first meeting, they'll hopefully we'll look it up. We'll either see the space in person or we'll look at floor plans, maybe some photographs. Maybe they've done some tear sheets. Second meeting is, is a little bit more in-depth discussion usually. Typically, most clients hire us after two or three meetings, and then we go away. And we scurry away, and at that point, we start to develop a concept. I may talk about, in broad strokes, what I see, how mm -hmm. a room might lay out. Or if they're saying that they want to accommodate certain functions, but they don't know how, I may say, oh, you know, I think you could do it this way, that way, that way. I think those are the, the seductions. Mm -hmm. But we never do anything specific until we're hired. Mm -hmm. Right. And then once we're hired, we take anywhere from six to 14 weeks, depending on the complexity of what we're doing, because a lot of our projects do involve full-scale renovations and gut jobs, and if it's just a couple of rooms of, of pure furnishings and, and decorative solutions, and that might be a, a shorter time period, six weeks, with a full-scale renovation, we do complete drawings by my, the architects in my office, as well as the decorating presentation, and we make a very complete, specific presentation. It doesn't mean that there aren't options. But I like to be very specific mm -hmm. from the beginning because if I show somebody a piece of beige linen velvet on its own, well, I like it, I don't like it. It's hard to get excited about it. It's, it's in the context it's of everything true. else. Yeah. So we will literally pick out every throw pillow fabric, 95% of it's picked up. We might have a few trims missing. It's funny, I have a client right now who I showed, um, we had talked and I brought her the swatches that we were going to use for the paint the walls, gray. She was just like, I don't know, is this the right gray? And then she sent me a photograph last night, and she said, this is, I love this room. And I said, great, because that's actually what your gray is going to look like. That's the feeling we're going to have. But because she was so eager just to see that swatch of color, and I was reticent about showing her it out of context, but it's so true, seeing it in context makes all the difference. And I think our job, as our clients get distracted, whether it's in a great enthusiasm, they go into a showroom and say, what about that, what yeah, about that? Yeah. Our job is to bring always back Rain it in. Right, to what the overall context is again. Is you may love that, but we've already chosen the chair and the table that it's gonna go next to and, it's and these to things don't color. work. And it's back to that color right. thing. You may love that, but next to this it's gonna change hue just by placement and proximity. Well, again one of the one of the trick one of the challenges we always have is that the throw pillows must be the might be the most active thing that we're presenting. And that's the biggest swatch. And the thing that's going to be 50 yards of it on three sofas, which is the quieter thing, is the little swatch. <laughs> and it's like, wow. But it's like, no, no. But remember, the scale of, of, in reality is going to be completely different than what we're presenting to mm -hmm. you. Yeah. You have to trust, and you have to kind of squint and, and get there. Trust. And trust. trust is go back yeah. to trust. And trust. <laughs> um, do you... 
do you have people come to you who, you know, known you known as a person who does beautiful work with color? Do you have ever people come to you? Absolutely. I want an all white space. I wish I had and, more people who, yeah. who come to me. I think one of the um, onuses of, of having a big reputation for doing something well is it becomes typecasting. Mm -hmm. I'm trained as a designer. I would actually love what I really love doing is different things. I I I have specific ways and tools that I use that I think identify my work, the way I'll disperse color in a room, the way I mix different periods and shapes and forms, the way I, I utilize texture and light. But that can translate into a contemporary interior or a traditional interior. There's not a real Jamie Drake signature. The, the way I use the tools is the signature. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I love that. I think I'd be bored if all I did day in and day out was French country yeah. or Italian 1950s, whatever it is. I like the interpretation. I like doing different things. And so I'd love to do more neutral rooms. Well, I love seeing that room you did in Connecticut. You showed us a photograph of, of a... Quieter. And it was, Serene. as you said, yes, this typical Connecticut clapboard house. You didn't... Oh, yes, She didn't one. have yeah. to... Um, what, what did you say? The owner didn't have to feel... Um, out of place in her, in her town. It, it was Connecticut, but it was, it was right. far from being... And it had cafe curtains. Right. And a valance. Right. But the cafe curtains went down to the floor. They right? did. Yeah. Right. They did. Which was neat. But it was all tweaked yeah. in such a yeah. way right. that was right. the colors were bright yellow, the bright blue, and it was done in a way that there was a sense of humor about it, right. but it still was very beautiful. I often, when I do traditional like that, I like to simplify it, so that makes it feel more contemporary, Yes. and then things become almost line drawings, or um, a cartoon in the, in the French use of the word a cartoon, like a concept sketch. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, and that was, this, it was a traditional stone balance, but it didn't have any braid on the bottom or fringe, and it was in a very beautiful, bright, fresh Tiffany blue, and the cafe curtains below it were in a contemporary sheer fabric. Because they went to the floor. And they went to the floor. That was yeah. a good one. Yeah. And then were those two big, what was the sculpture on the coffee table? Cherries? Yes. Um, Robert that. Quo uh -huh. cherries, um, ena uh, enameled copper cherries. So great. again, sort of a sense of humor. I like ones that have wit to them. Yes. And that do have some humor and put a smile on your face. I'm not looking for a one-line joke, mm -hmm. but I like, you know, Not one. a joke, humor. Right, humor. Uh -huh. Spirit. Yes. I can see that. Optimism. So today you talked to us about some various trend, what's the word for it? Like um, well, I think it was called future focus, and it was about just trends in interior design, where they're going. Uh, and it was wonderful to have as our sponsor today, Swarovski, and their crystal elements. And so I, what I did was to try and take what their trend forecasts were and interpret them the way I see them and how they worked and have been influential on my own work. I think one of the biggest trends is, is personality plus. Really, there isn't any rules, and you can do warm and cozy, you can be doing urban and edgy, but there are common threads, and I think it's about mixing and matching in pieces, the same way that people buy clothes. They don't buy that many coordinated outfits anymore. I don't think any woman goes out like they eat, like they would have. Um, or even prior to grandmas, <laughs> if I think back to my, my mother in the, in the 60s, um, my, my earlier memories where, you know, when she bought a new outfit, it was all, and there was a complete outfit. There was a suit and maybe and a blouse under it, and there would be shoes and a belt and a hat and gloves, and it was bought to go together, and, you know, you might take the shoes out and have them dyed to match, mm -hmm. you know. 
he, it was a very different time and place. Now people fall in love with a piece. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll just make say, it work. Right. I love those shoes and I love this jacket and I love this bag and they're from four different designers. And then I'm going to wear them with a pair of falling apart jeans that I've had for 15 years because they're my favorite ones because they fit so good. And so it's high and low and it's about passion. And I think that that really interprets even into the home sector. Even if you're starting from scratch, say you're furnishing a house 100%, you might be high and low. You can have that great expensive piece from Holly Hunt next to something from Crate and Barrel. You yep. have a vintage lamp next to all new things. Mm -hmm. For somebody who is fresh out of college and they have their own first new apartment, what would you suggest that they would do? Well, I think that if you have, the first thing you should do is install dimmers <laughs> on the lights <laughs> because lighting is almost, I think, the most important tool that we have to work with because I, I can walk into a room that's so gorgeous and if it's lit with 5,000 watts of light, I'm blinded and I don't want to go in there. Um, I like romance, I like mood. So I think first I'd start with dimmers and candles, a couple of good places to sit. So make it dark so we can't see what else is going well, on. No, make it, I, make I it beautiful and warm, yes. warm, warm, yeah. warm. Yes. Um, one of the things that I've, I've, a trick I've used lately a lot in, in when we do um, projects that where a client might not be there long, like we often get approached, not that often, but occasionally, I'm only going to be in this apartment, it's a rental or a house, for a year and a half, two years. There's, nobody wants to make a serious background investment there. Let's paint a square of color on a wall. So again, it's sort of a tapestry, it's a contemporary tapestry. You're not painting the whole room, you're not painting the trim. You're painting a square of color on one wall that the sofa might sit against, and then a picture hang against that. And when it's time to move out, and you have to return it to the landlord, you're just painting one wall. Mm -hmm. well, it's kind of a simple That's trick. Great advice. Mm -hmm. You, sort of going back to the mix and match, that was how you started your talk, which was talking about the casual with the more professional and the tailored jacket with the comfy jeans, and, and you said it was really personalized, which I really liked, and that, that's what I was thinking of with the interiors, the high and low, and right. you know, really creating a personal space. And that, and that is what I started talking about. I started thinking about it. it's not that this was a conscious decision, but I stopped wearing ties about five years ago, and I stopped wearing dress pants. I wear jeans. Three years ago, I, I started just wearing jeans day in and day out. I have a collection of them. It's not the same ones. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that that's endemic of what, the way I see my clients dressing. Um, I'm not living in a vacuum, so I might not be, I may be an early adopter. But um, everybody I know, just we dress more casually. It doesn't mean we're less chic. It's just a different view. And I think that that absolutely filters down to the way people live. There's no period rooms being done, nobody wants something that's um, a literal um, stick to one 18th century French kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. It's mix and match, it's things put together, it's a little looser, mm -hmm. and look at the way you're, no, you, too bad you can't all see the way the ladies are dressed <laughs> today, but you know, they have all sorts of, you know, a couple of bracelets on each of different feelings, um, something soft on each of them with something sexy. <laughs> So yeah, a, little bit. a little animal skin on the shoe. Uh-huh. <laughs> animal instincts. Animal instincts. Faux. Faux is not faux. I liked the, uh, the, the real, faux, faux real. Faux real. Faux real. I love that. Faux real. It seems so silly when you, when you read it, and this was one of the, um, in the presentation that I did with Swarovski, their presentation was about trends driven by the animal kingdom, and so it was broken down into pale pastels were a winter wonderland and a winter rabbit, and then we had a sort of a cozier thing um, with uh, brown bear. the brown bear, <laughs> brown bear. In, the, in the country. Um, Farmland fox. Right. And, <laughs> and for each trend they showed 
some of the colors that they felt were, were emblematic of the trend, and some of the key words, and, and one of them was faux real. And at first you read that, well, that's, a, that's, that's an oxymoron, that's just idiotic. But when you think about faux real, what is faux, whether it's a stenciled cowhide looking like ocelot, or whether it's a tiger-printed velvet, whether it's um, a glass that's made to look like tortoise shell, it isn't the real thing. It's but an it imitation, but it is real. It's real today. So real. It just is, again, it's that humor. Right. You, humor you, you read gonna... it, it makes you laugh, but then you think and, about it. Well, there's yeah. a lot of truth to it. Right. In a, in a uh, leopard print silk velvet, I'd rather have that than leopard fur That's any right. day. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. zebra, same thing, you yeah. know, or that, um, that one of my favorite stark carpets, the um, uh, antelope, I think it's an antelope Yeah, it's print. a classic, the antelope wall-to-wall. Right. -wall. I love right. that. It just introduced my line for uh, Safavia of Area Rugs last year. One of my favorites and one of the biggest sellers is called Tiger Den. And it's, you know, an interpretation of an animal print, um, but done on two crazy colors, one on a, a, a vibrant sort of emerald and moss green combination, wow. and the other on a ruby red and pink. Wow, beautiful. And your fabrics are at Schumacher. Schumacher, and your carpets are? At Safavia, and I have um, furniture. Uh, with Louis Mittman, mm -hmm. um, bath faucets with a fabulous company called THG France, but available throughout the world, including uh, the U.S. of A. Mm -hmm. um, bath accessories, tissue boxes, and waste baskets and mm -hmm. things that are very gorgeous and glamorous through La Brazelle. Um, what about wall coverings? No wall coverings. Not a paint line yet. Not a paint mm -hmm. line. <laughs> What because about Target? Would, great for you. would you do oh. a line for Target? Absolutely. I think Target's brilliant with what they yeah. what they do, oh, and, and I don't think that. I loved when I when you said about like the tissue boxes, it's just sort of. Yeah. I, I would love went. to see a Jamie Drake for Target. Yay! Hey, awesome. Exactly. Hello, <laughs> Target. Hello, Target. You're so good, Linda. Yeah. I think you need to do a paint line though, because your color. I mean, just you would be brilliant to do a line for. Well, maybe I will at some point. I have a, a very close relationship, a warm and fuzzy relationship, and it's a, a preferred paint of my company with Benjamin Moore. I was going to say, Benjamin mm -hmm. Moore. Benjamin Moore. Yeah. Um, they are to a fabulous product, and they're a fabulous company. They have, are they're fa fantastic they are. marketing and partnerships. You know, and they're partnerships. They're so corporately responsible. Yeah. They are so generous to so many different charitable organizations, mm -hmm. and um, I just love Benjamin Moore. And I, they have some. They have a great paint. That they have great product. I used Breakthrough on my floors last. When she painted, she went from dark brown floors to white floors. Okay, right. so tell me, I don't even know, what's Breakthrough? Breakthrough, you have to ask for it particularly, and they'll get it for you. They'll tint it any color you want, any of their colors. It's a non-oil-based latex floor paint, and it's really resilient. It's incredible. So it's sort of like an epoxy? Kind of. It, it dries in a half an hour. Wow. It's amazing. I did mine one night. I did my whole main living area. I moved all the furniture one way and painted it. Now, and did you do it, it yourself? Did I you did it myself. Oh, you are, a, you are ambitious. Can you come over to my house and, and you help? Know funny? In the middle of the room, I couldn't get everything. Don't moved. you have like a big spot? There's a spot about this big. So when I move, <laughs> you have to get in there and paint it. But paint the middle of the room. Oh, I'll throw the rug down. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a rug over it. Right. I use Benjamin Moore exterior paint to paint my kitchen cabinets, and it uh -huh. just worked incredibly well. It's great. It is good. And I think they that is something they haven't done. They should do different designers. Get three different color designers lines. and have color lines. That's exciting. Well, they had that fantastic photo. Were you in that ad? You yes. You in that ad, yeah. I am with Daryl Carter and Celery and Campbell. And Celery looking like she was falling Amy off a ladder. Lau. Yes. <laughs> right. 
I'm in a cocktail dress. And we were all in that photo shoot. At you know? the same time? Well, you know, Annie Leibovitz, who does the Vanity Fair, of, like, big fold-outs. No, she yeah. didn't shop it. Mark Seliker did, who is who is uh, uh, an absolute peer um, and is highly regarded as Annie Leibovitz. But a lot of her things where she has 12 of the... They're all in the Vanity Fair? No, there's like three of them at right. a time, and then yeah. they're all photoshopped together. Right. We were all there. That's, That's great. great. Did it take a long time? It's a no, lot of people to get a good shot. No, three hours or so. It probably took a lot longer just to coordinate everyone's schedules to be yeah, in the same exactly, I mean, it's probably. hard enough to take a family picture and not have somebody, you know, with their eyes wonky. And they made us feel like the superstars. So there was hair and makeup and stylists, <laughs> and five people from the agency, and eight million assistants to the photographer who has a sensational studio um, on the West Side Highway in New York City. Fun. So much. Well, Jamie, nice. thank you so much for doing this well, with thank us. You. You thank you. You are our first in person. Been the Skirted Roundtable with Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8, Joni Webb from Cote to Texas, and I'm Linda Merrill with Surroundings. And this week, Megan and I interviewed interior designer Jamie Drake at the High Point Market in North Carolina. You can visit us online at www.skirtedroundtable.blogspot.com or download our podcast from iTunes. Search for the Skirted Roundtable. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back soon.